Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, as we go into thy word and we talk about the precious blood of Christ, we are so thankful that this precious blood was shed for our sins and sprinkled on us then by faith. And we pray, O Lord, that thou would bless in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, <clears throat> I know that you people are looking for a new pastor, right? There is a text actually in the Bible that uh, speaks what we should do when that is happening. I'm going to read here Luke um, 10 verse 2. Jesus said to them, The harvest is truly great and the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that that he would send laborers into his vineyard. You know, we... um, (coughs) We... um, need laborers. We are all members of the royal priesthood, actually. And um, it can be a, a, a blessing in a way when the pastor is not here. You know, in Coburg, where I uh, helped to establish a new church, I have helped to establish few churches during my ministry in Newfoundland. My wife is from Newfoundland. Um, helped to establish the church in Banavista, the most easterly point in this country. And I also started my ministry in 1961 on Vancouver Island. I served a church over there, the most westerly point. And I've been uh, across this country a few times. It's a great country. I'm so glad to be a Canadian. And um, uh, what I want to say is this, that in the Coburg right now, we have one of the members speaking and telling her story or uh, whatever her topic is, I don't know what her topic is, but uh, have you, uh, you members here ever been up here giving your testimony, how you became an Adventist and how faith has helped you to grow in grace? How many of you have preached here? Do I want to see it? Yeah, Gladstone yes, and, and the other gentleman over there. You know, this is your opportunity when you're waiting for the new pastor. Sometimes the conference, they will um, not be able to get the pastor right away. So, uh, and if they bring one uh, from the States or from, uh, some, from uh, far away, it costs money to move a pastor. So they will recuperate that, uh, that uh, expense then if they don't have to pay the pastor's salary here those months that you have, have to wait. But I hope you won't have to wait too long. But um, you all have a story. And um, um, I wish I could tell you my story. I'm just saying this, that my mother, well, she was a young girl then, of course, when she uh, sought the Lord and she found this Advent message, she is going to be a nun. Thankfully, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> she, joined, she joined finally the Salvation Army, but before that, she went to all the different kinds of churches, and she was so hungry for the truth. And then when she got married, um, she knew that she didn't have any education, really, although the Salvation Army were going to send her into uh, the officer's school in Helsinki. Uh, but uh, then a, a Seventh-day Adventist evangelist came to town. And she and the lady captain, they went in there to the meetings, and my, my mother told me how she um, had a tremendous struggle because she loved the army and the happy life that they lived, and, and they, they, they played the guitar and, and so on. I've been to many Salvation Army meetings. 
And my wife's people from Newfoundland actually come from a Salvation Army background. Uh, but then when she was expecting me as the firstborn, she dedicated me to the Lord before I was born. And I was so thankful to be able to understand the importance of that act of faith. Uh, to be brought up in a Christian home. I've gone through uh, our schools in Finland, Sweden, in this country, in the seminary. And uh, we need to pray for our schools. I just understand that one of your new members here came from Andrews University. I have two daughters at Andrews University now, and uh, they have been, one of them has been there already the second or uh, third, third year. I have four grandchildren at CUC, and I have one in France, learning the Parisian French. Uh, so uh, I believe in the Christian education, and wherever possible we should have our own, we do have our own schools. Now, uh, does your salvation depend on the pastor? No. It does not. So we've got to learn to feed ourselves quality time every day with the Lord. You know, today we have so, so many um, gadgets, you know, uh, dishwashers, uh, washing machines, uh, vacuum cleaners, and all kinds of things. But yet, the enemy tries to make us so busy that we don't have quality time in the Word of God. So um, the way I recommend that we read the Bible, I used to um, um, read the Bible, and, and then I have this uh, Bible, Bible reading check card. And um, I, I left quite a few here to, uh, uh, to the gentleman here who uh, led in Sabbath school studies. It's called writing Bible reading check card. And... Um, <clears throat> This quotation here, there's hundreds of them that I have, so you can get these things later on whenever you want to, uh, to use this thing. This one is not uh, time-limited anyway, but Ellen White says that it's better for us to study slowly. And what I have done for the last several years is I take a, I take a chapter in the Old Testament, sometimes in the New, it's good to get uh, uh, the message from both those witnesses because the Old and New Testaments are God's two witnesses that the Revelation speaks to. And I read just a section, and then I see what other Bible texts speak to this same subject. And I don't stop there. Then I go to the LNC White Index, and I see what she says about this text. And this way, I really feel the blessing from the Lord. Uh, if you read the Bible through in one year, which is all right too, if you can do it, but you cannot possibly get deep into the scripture because you are supposed to read about three chapters a day and five and seven, right? So uh, uh, looks like my friend is blasting out right now. Uh, so uh, this poem that is in the back of the po uh, this leaflet is so good. But you just cross out the chapter that you finally read, uh, if it is in the Old Testament or New Testament, and this way, if you keep it in your Bible, as it says here, you can say that I have read the Bible through. It's amazing how few people read the Bible. It has been the bestseller for many, many years, but people don't read it. They don't study it. We used to be called people of the book. We knew the Bible. I know one of our pioneers uh, knew the Bible so well that if you quoted the verse somewhere, he would know what is before that and after. So we need to make the Word of God our own, as, as, the, as this thing is, as six here on the front. 
A real blessing will result in reading and studying the scripture passage slowly and concentrate the mind rather than just keep it through. But the word of God is a very powerful thing. It's the word of God that, uh, that uh, created the world. <clears throat> Let's see now. I'm going to open up this paper here. I had to actually do the second time. <laughs> I realized that I had to change certain things. And um, so I would uh, recommend for you to, uh, to um, take courage and prepare a sermon uh, or tell the story how you became a member and how you have grown in Christ. There are many good Christians everywhere, you know, in other churches. And there are even people who follow their light to the best of their ability in other religions. I have been a member of the Multi-Faith Council of Ontario about seven years, where the Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims are there all together. And I have learned certain things from them. And uh, uh, we need to um, be uh, open-minded and uh, because God has children everywhere. Right. He knows where they are from and he'll be, he will be all be judged by the uh, inheritance that we have uh, received. Um, so um, we need to um, trust in the Lord and love the people. You know, I'm so glad that the, our prayer, I mean the Lord's Prayer, is, the actual Lord's Prayer is actually John 17, where Jesus prays to his Father. But the Lord's Prayer that he, we have quoted twice in the Bible, Matthew is the one that we usually use, and we can sing to it also. Um, it doesn't mention Jesus' name. There is a reason why Jesus gave this kind of a prayer. Because these other religions, they can pray this prayer also. Yes. So uh, I say that I pray the Lord's Prayer very slowly every morning. Because it covers all the aspects of life. It is so deep. But uh, I also, of course, pray for my own self, uh, for my own self and my family members. And then, and then enlarging all the other people that I have ever touched in my life. When I was a literature evangelist and I was... Um, assistant corporate leader here for three years and that's when I was able to work with Gladstone and Sylvia and, and Phyllis and so many other people but now I'm so sorry that the leadership evangelism is pretty well dead it's not so safe to go for a girl by herself for example to some house anymore and if you went two by two it would be a little bit safer, safer but, but then uh, you know you wouldn't get so much scholarship I have earned Eight scholarships altogether, that's how I was able to put myself to our schools. Because I came from a very poor background. We lost our home twice during the Second World War. And um, it's actually a blessing if we are not rich. How many rich people are in church? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's a sad thing that uh, the poor, they gladly heard Jesus, you know. Uh, so... Um, we need to always open the study of the scripture with sincere prayer because there we have the wisdom. Now, I'd like to say something about the scripture reading that we had. Paul, you know, he was um, the best educated apostle. He wasn't apostle first. He wasn't even taught by Christ uh, with the other disciples, but he was, after his conversion, he went to Arabia and there he was about three years, and he was taught by the Lord himself. 
So whenever we have a Lord's Supper, we usually read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and that's Paul say, uh, writing, and he says, I have received from the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus. So he was taught there by the Lord himself. Um, and um, he wrote most of the New Testament. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and he, was, uh, he knew about the philosophy. And um, he went to different places. He went to Athens, you know. Um, and there he th saw these people that were the philosophers, Epicureans and all the other. And uh, he, he tried to win them by, by the wisdom of men, as it were. And I have actually tried that too, but I have found that it's, it doesn't work. You don't convert a person by logic. It's a hard experience. He did win some people there. The Bible actually mentions that. But it wasn't what he was looking for. So that's, that was his experience in Athens. So then he came to Corinth and it was a very, very wicked city. And uh, he wrote these words, then I determined not to know anything else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. When I first came to this country 61 years ago, I saw church steeples and there's no cross. United Church and so on, other churches too. But the Catholics, they always have a cross. But in, in Europe, you know, all the churches, doesn't matter what denomination, they have a cross somewhere. Because we got to remember that is what, ha what happened year 31 at Passover time was the most, most important date in the history of this world. Now there's a second date that is second most important, and that's 1844. We need to understand what happened on that date. We are actually a prophetic movement. We came into existence at that time. There was a misunderstanding first by uh, William Miller about the meaning of the cleansing of the sanctuary, but, but it was just like the disciples too. They expected Jesus to be the Messiah who would deliver Jews from the Roman uh, yoke. And, um, and uh, that there was a great disappointment when he finally died. They, they didn't know what, what's going to happen. Are we going to be the next? But he came actually to establish a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And in the parable of the ten virgins, remember there was a tarrying time. We are in that tarrying time right now. And the uh, Spirit of Prophecy says that the reason Christ has not come yet is because he doesn't want his, he doesn't want his people uh, miss salvation because we are not quite ready. Is there anybody here who would actually say with honest heart, I'm ready for Jesus to come right now? It takes, it takes time to, to uh, uh, develop a sanctified life and thank God that that sanctified life um, is a lifelong experience. I actually, I've been to many, many, many of our schools and one teacher was one of these old-fashioned teachers and this is what he said. The justification is because in salvation there are two parts, and that's the title of the sermon, twofold uh, 
salvation in Christ. Justification of the Christ dying on the cross, which I claim so that I don't have to die, is God's work for me, but he says, sanctification is our work. And I thought, oh dear, oh dear. If sanctification, which is the work of a lifetime, depended on us, we couldn't make it, could we? How often we have to weep at the foot of the cross? How often we have made decisions that I'm going to, by God's grace, uh, overcome this habit and that habit? I remember when I started my ministry on Vancouver Island in 1961, I first um, and my family stayed um, in the home of the elder there. And his wife uh, told me this experience. You know, one experience that has helped you might help somebody else too. So that's what we really need to do. Tell the people what Jesus means to me. You know, if I asked people to, um, if you were asked to give a Bible uh, study on the Sabbath or State of the Dead or whatever, you would, we would be ready to do that more than if we asked you, tell us what Jesus means to you. So she had a, she had a drinking problem. Somebody mentioned here in the Sabbath school study that, you know, about coffee. It's the most, addict, most common addiction in the world. And uh, tea has also caffeine in it, plus tannic acid. And so, but whatever, whatever it is, she couldn't get over this thing. It wasn't drinking alcohol or anything like that. It was another substance that she sometimes she prepared just a half a cup and threw the rest of the way because she was disgusted because she tried to get victory over this habit in her own strength. You know, you know what she did finally? She says, Lord, I can't do it. You have to do it. So sanctification is definitely work by the Lord and his grace if we cease trusting in our own selves. You know, we have pride, all of us have pride, and you know, we tend to uh, trust in our own selves. But without God and his precious blood, uh, we cannot do it. You know, in the book, Great Controversy, and I, I hope that you will read not only the Bible, but uh, there are three or four books, uh, there are so many books in, uh, written by that other people that are good, they are inspired, just like the many hymns, they are so wonderful. And even this thing that, the song that we sang for the opening song, as well as the closing, they are so deep in thought. And um, we need to uh, realize that uh, the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can really open our hearts and we have to humble ourselves. God can't use pride, proud people, only humble people. And uh, you know how Moses uh, worked for 40 years taking the children of Israel through the wilderness, but he had to have an 80-year preparation for his work. First 40 years he was with the Egyptian army and he... Um, he thought that he could deliver the Lord with uh, military genius or whatever, but it didn't work too well, did it? He learned obedience and humility when he was a shepherd. And then he was so humble <laughs> that when God called him, he was reluctant, reluctant to, uh, to accept the call. So God finally says, well, who has made the man's mouth? <laughs> 
But if you are so scared, I'll send you your brother Aaron and so on. But anyway, um, we need to um, um, use the techniques that the Lord has given us, but always understand that uh, the cross and what happened on the cross is the most important thing. And I think it's the final chapter in the book of, Revo- book of uh, Great Controversy. And I, I don't, if I don't work, go, go word for word in my uh, uh, sermon, I will forget the things. But after you read your Bible, I used to say that the Desire of Ages is the next best book. And it is such a wonderful book, but there's another book that's even better than that. Steps to Christ. Oh, Happiness Digest. You should give that book out and have it available to the people. It, uh, it tells us about Christianity and how the heart is finally changed, how to pray and what to do with doubt and so on. So it's a wonderful book. But the great controversy is God's way of presenting the present truth to the world, the last call that people are going to get. And, and how many of our people are studying the great controversy? It's, it's quite a big, uh, thick book. Now, we have this book, The Great Hope, and one of your members uh, was with us last uh, Sabbath in Coburg. And I said, do you, uh, did you get these books uh, and give them out to the people? And he said, you did. We got 2,000 and we still have some to, to left. But I actually took this book, The Great Hope book, and it has only certain parts of The Great Controversy, it's just an introduction to it more or less. But it is so good, that book, because it covers 2,000 years of... Uh, Christian history, and um, I gave it to all my neighbors. I gave them first the Happiness Digest a few years ago because I built the house where I'm living north of Port Hope 20 years ago. And now, before Christmas, I went to all my neighbors there and I gave them this book. And I said, well, you know, uh, the Advent season is just before Christmas. Advent means coming. That happened about 2,000 years ago. But this is the next event we need to get ready, the second coming of Christ. And, um, and all of them accept the book. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you still have some lefties and give them out, have them always in your pocket. I, I have them in my, I have them always in my pocket, whatever uh, jacket I happen to have uh, on. And I, I give to the people in, when, when, the, when I'm doing business. Uh, just the other day I was in the home, uh, home hardware and uh, when I saw that there were no people waiting behind me, I, I started talking to this cashier. And, and I gave her this book, and she was so interested. She wanted to talk to me some more. And I hoped to ta- see her again. She actually had to call, call another cashier and take over so she could step aside and talk with me. But you never know when you sow the seed in faith, which will prosper, this or that. Or will, or, or, I said, or are they all things that when you sow, sow the seed are uh, going to be good. But God's word is, is so, so strong and so wonderful. It says, my word will not read unto me void. So Sylvia, the books and Claston, when you, we sold the books, you know, I, I, I sold the books in Finland, in Sweden, and this country, and, uh, and uh, I hope to see many, many of these people in the kingdom of God, when by God's grace I will get there myself, who, who got the message through the, through the literature. So it's very important for us to, um, to sow the seed and, and not get discouraged. 
even if we fail many times. So now, the reason I'm talking about uh, this twofold message is this because Christ uh, did two things for us. It's it's very very simple, but usually I, which I have already mentioned, the justification and the sanctification. Um, this is a twofold message, but uh, our young people usually don't understand this, and even our older people, you know. The General Conference in 1888 was the most important up to that time anyway. I have had the privilege to attend the five General Conferences. Uh, how many of you got to Toronto to the year 2000? Wasn't that nice? The Sky Dome was, that's what they call it in those days, was pretty well filled. What a wonderful thing to be there with the people. But anyway, um, I usually I talk to the young people, try them to help them to understand what salvation is all about. What is it that that we should do. So I asked them this question, which doctrine do you think is the most important for teaching? And you know, I get various answers. We, we have two doctrines in our name. We put uh, uh, seventh day there for a purpose that the people, when they, when they read the Ten Commandments and when they hear that name, what does that remind them? The Sabbath. But the Sabbath doesn't save us. You know, the Jews kept the Sabbath very strictly, but, uh, you know, if they don't have the Savior, they're lost. We need to pray for the Jewish people. I have a cousin who married Larry Goldberg, and they have lived in Israel for about 40 years. They both speak perfect Hebrew. And uh, Adventist, it's a second coming. So the people say, well, it must be the Sabbath, and it's not. That's not the most important doctrine. We got the Seventh-day Sabbath, by the way, from a Seventh-day Baptist lady by the name of Rachel Oaks. And um, then they, they mentioned some over about the state of the dead. No, that's not the most important thing. But these all are all good doctrines, 28 of them need to understand them. And uh, somebody even mentioned health reform or, or the spirit of prophecy or 2300 days, you know, the sanctuary service doctrine is, the, we are the only ones who have that, by the way. Other people don't seem to study it. They do take the first 70 weeks there, but uh, they don't want to touch 1844. But in the book of Revelation, even we are told that this is when Jesus entered uh, the most, he left the holy place and went to the most holy place because the real sanctuary is in heaven. The earthly one was just a little picture of the earthly sanctuary, uh, heavenly sanctuary. So, um, finally, I helped them by asking this, tell, telling them this question to think about. What would you say to a dying person who is going to die perhaps in a few hours? What would you say to a person if that person is not a believer? You wouldn't talk about the Sabbath, would you? You wouldn't talk about health reform <laughs> or the state of the dead. What would you talk? And that really rings a bell in them. Well, I guess I should talk about salvation. Salvation. We Adventists, we have been judged and we have been called legalists, but you know, um, is it legalistic uh, when you have to 
have a driver's license in order to drive a car? Is it legalistic when you go and get your marriage license so you can get married? And so on. They, the people don't understand these things, and there are false teachings going on over the radio and TV all the time. And uh, the church that we rent from, we rent uh, this church in Coburg uh, from Christian Reformed Church. Um, you know, their name says Christian Reformed Church. But, you know, the Reformation is still going on. There are none, there's none, there are none of us who can know everything that we should know. So there are two things that Jesus did. He lived how many years? 33, 34 years. And then he died. Of course, the precious blood started to be shed already in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in fact, his sweat was, he was in such agony when all our sins were put upon him. He would have died right there if the angel would not have come to strengthen him. And then, um, maybe you've seen uh, Gibson's movie, uh, The Passion. <laughs> maybe it's a little bit overdone there, there's so much blood. But anyway, that's where the blood was shed for us. And um, if it was just for that person, that, that reason that Jesus came to die, he was actually born to die, be the Lamb of God. Uh, that's only the one part of salvation. But for 33 years, he developed the righteous character, not only to give us an example, but we can't do it without his help. And this is illustrated so well in the parable of the marriage supper that the king prepared for the people, and, and invitations went out, and, and, and they had all kinds of excuses. They didn't want to come to the marriage supper. So finally he said, go and tell, compel them to come in, the, the, the poor, the lame, the blind, all the people. And he had prepared a wedding garment for them all. I have a wife and four daughters, you know, and I've heard more than once, I have nothing to wear when they have to go someplace. They want all of always have something new. My cupboard is about this wide, my, my wife is so much bigger, you know. But uh, C.S. Lately now started uh, to, to, to back down, and, and uh, she, has, uh, uh, she has not bought too many, too, many, too, uh, too many things, but sometimes when she does buy something that I might not agree, she says, well, I got my money. <laughs> She's getting the oldest pension. <laughs> but anyway, um, so Jesus developed this righteous character not on his own behalf, but on our behalf. So we claim it by faith. Same as we claim his death for us, we claim the sanctification by faith. I have all these quotations here, but I don't think I'll have time to read them because uh, Sister White makes it so plain. We claim it by faith. In other words, we don't have it in our own selves. So the king came in this parable. Jesus always was parabled, by the way. The Bible says that without the parable spake he not unto them because people would remember the story human interest story or something like that, you know. And then they'll remember the lesson that Jesus tied with that story. So then the king came in when the, when the people finally came in and um, investigated judgment started. Because there was investigation there. The king came in to see the guests. And that's what started in 1844. And it's still going on. Um, 
So when he came to this one man, he must have been a well-to-do man. Uh, maybe he had a, a national suit on or, or whatever. And he thought, well, I don't need that wedding garment. I'm good enough in my own clothes. And uh, so Jesus, I mean, uh, the king said to the man when he came to him, friend, he called his, him still friend. He at, at least came to the marriage supper. Friend, why did you come here without the wedding garment? And what did the man say? He was speechless. He must have heard something about uh, about being a humble man rather than come with his own clothes. And, and he must have been a very respectful man in the community. And he thought he was good enough. I have had many people tell me during my ministry, I, I'm not a sinner. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I'm not stealing anything. So they don't realize that we are all sinners. We were born that way. We inherited this nature. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. <laughs> and you know, uh, I'm the king of the, you are the I'm the king of the castle. You are the dirty rascal. It's right in the children already. So we we have this nature that is with us till we are translated. You know, in the early part of Advent Adventist history, there were all kinds of falsehoods that tried to come in. For, for example, pantheism, Dr. Kellogg, who uh, I've been to Battle Creek, um, to the grave of the whites and so on, and I've seen this place where Kellogg uh, uh, built this huge sanatorium. And... Um, He, he, he strayed away from the, from the faith and finally, you know, he, he, uh, he wrote a book called uh, Living Temple. He was supposed to, they were supposed to get some money for sale of that books to help us in our, in our shortness of funds. But it was all filled with pantheism. God is in the stone, he's in the tree, he's everywhere. Well, what does that do with the personal God? So we have, we have, we've had all kinds of uh, um, uh, misunderstandings, but 1819, I mean 1888 General Conference was the most important thing. We had two men then, Wagner and Jones. They were young ministers, and they were not perfect people, by the way. They, um, they brought to this 1888 conference the justification by faith and righteousness of Christ. It was something that Ellen White had uh, understood for a long time, but even the Conference president at that time, and Uriah Smith, who was a very clever man, they didn't accept it first. You know, they, they thought, uh, just like this teacher that told us this thing, that uh, the justification, sanctification is our work, they just couldn't get away from the law. How important the law is. Of course, the law is the most holy thing in the Bible. God or Christ wrote it with his own finger. In stone. You can't change that, you see. But one of the greatest, greatest battles in the life in the, before Jesus comes is about the law. And they don't mind any other commandment when you come to the fourth commandment. Oh, well, that was nailed to the cross. Which law was nailed to the cross? Tell me. The ceremonial law, yeah. 
and uh, not the Ten Commandments. It is, it is holy, lies holy, and it is spiritual, yeah. we read. So if I'm also spiritual, I will be in harmony with the spiritual law. Isn't that right? I don't want to break any one of these commandments. So uh, let's go to Romans. To, uh, I just have a few more minutes left here. The fifth chapter of Romans is called the much more chapter because it, that expression occurs there many times. So I'm going to read verses uh, 6 and 8 first of all. For when we were still without strength in due time, and Christ came right in the right time, died for, un for the ungodly. Uh, verse uh, 8, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then we go to verse 10. For if... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Then comes this first statement of much more. Is there something more than the death of Christ? Well, this is the term that is used here four or five times in this chapter. Much more we shall be saved by his life. The perfect life that he did. And he developed this wedding garment for us. And without that we can't make it. And then I'm going to read verse 18 and 19. Therefore, as through one man, that is Adam, Eve is the first one who, who sinned, actually, but, you know, uh, she was deceived. But Adam went with to this, to this evil thing and breaking God's commandment, and he, he didn't want to leave her alone, and he was going to share her, uh, her, her fate with, uh, with her. So anyway, for as through one man offense judgment came to all people, resulting in the condemnation, even, through, even so through the one man's righteous act, the free gift came all men, resulting justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by the one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So I'm so glad we have this perfect salvation in Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, this is what the twofold uh, salvation that I, this in, in the bulletin there is, is talking about. The death and the life of Jesus Christ makes the salvation so complete that nobody needs to be last. Even, even if we fall into sin so many times and, and we might be discouraged and the devil is there right there watching us and say, well, there's no use, give it up, you know. Let's not get discouraged. Let's not get discouraged. Look to Jesus and um, he will uh, finish the work. The work that he has started, he is able to finish it. So that is our most important thing. I'm going to read to you here, like I told you, when I read, when I study the Bible, I, I uh, thirdly go after have it. I have compared all the other texts that I could think about, certain verse. Then I go to the index, and I'll see what is there. There are certain texts in the Bible that I wish only would have made some comment, but sometimes there's nothing there. But then when you find it in the index, I suppose you have the index, so you can get it actually on the internet today. It's wonderful how you can get writings of Ellen White. You don't have the book, uh, have, to have the book itself. 
But I'm going to tell you a few things that she says about the blood. The blood. Because life is in the blood. That's the reason we were told not to eat or drink the blood. So I'm going to read here something. This is uh, uh, under that. Uh, there are several subsections under, under the blood. It's available only to, uh, for persons feeling their need. Do you need, need the need of a savior? And need to give, God give you the victory? Believers may apply to their hearts. And uh, it's efficacious. It needs to be applied continually. <coughs> continually. And you know, in the book of Revelation, it says in two places that we are washed in the blood. Our robes are washed in the blood. And that uh, first, when I, I, when I heard uh, this song, Are You Washed in the Blood? Maybe you know that song. I thought, well, that's going a little bit too far, but there's in two places in the Revelation that speaks about that. And um, we are to keep it ever in view, she says. Present, present to, to the people this, this thing. It's a fountain of cleansing from defilement. You know, we ministers, God doesn't use perfect people because he has none. Uh, we ministers, same as well the members, we are all imperfect. I have met some women who think they are perfect, but, uh, but uh, maybe there are some men too. <laughs> um, I married a woman who says she's perfect, and she's also a teacher, so I'll never graduate from her school. <laughs> But I'm thankful that she, do, she doesn't see everything the same way as I do because it gives a balance to my life. Anyway, uh, fountain for cleansing. Living water. Uh, you know, we are washed in baptism, symbolic way, but it's actually through the blood of Christ that we are washed and made clean. Uh, the, um, the merits of the blood must be applied to the soul. And then listen to this. Satan flees at urging the blood. You know, Ellen White was shown when the names came up in the judgment and the people are so, so, so uh, sinful and uh, they would not have any right to the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of heaven and be saved uh, to eternal life. Jesus will say, my blood, my blood, my blood. There is nothing that Satan can say against that. The precious blood that was that was uh, shed for us. Satan flees. And listen to this. Never failing passport. We have to have a passport when you go to a foreign country. Many, many, most countries anyway. It's a passport. Blood is the passport. I thought that was very good. Interesting. A penitent soul released from condemnation. Pleads from before Father in sinner's behalf. Um, and uh, sermons that scarcely mentioned. And she actually says that uh, we speak about so many things, we ministers and people who give the sermons and, and talks, but not so much about the precious blood. That's the reason I just wanted to uh, talk about it today. Because I wish that I had understood this thing when my early ministry, you know. And finally, I'm going to see, uh, tell you something what she says. You know, Ellen White has, has her comments on 
the books of the Bible and you find them in the end of the commentary. The pages are usually over a thousand. This one here that I'm going to read to you now is from uh, uh, volume 5 of the commentary, 1132. And uh, she says here that um, uh, I don't want to read uh, uh, too much here. Without the cross, there would, they would be no more secure against evil than were the angels before the fall of Satan. And then she says, angelic perfection failed in heaven. Human perfection failed in Eden. And um, uh, so even the angels, that's the reason they fell. One third of them. Or a little bit more, Alan White says, even fell. Uh, uh, although they had absolute perfection without, anyway. No sin, no rebellion. But when they were tempted, they failed. Therefore, this angelic perfection also failed. She says that the whole universe will not be free, would not be free if Satan was permitted to live and tempt the people anymore. Of course, Ellen White was shown some other worlds where creatures lived. They also have had to test there. She was visiting one, one place and she says, but we too have a, here the tree of knowledge and good and evil, but we have not, never touched it. See, there is a wonderful uh, news media system in the universe. They know what's going on here on earth. We are, are, are like a theater for the, these people and they are interested uh, what's going on here. Of course, we know that uh, most of God's people are still sleeping in their graves. And this summer I hope to go visit Finland and I usually go there where my parents are buried. Um, but, uh, but the wonderful thing is this, that uh, uh, we are made perfect, not from our genealogy. You know, sometimes people say, I've heard ministers say this, I am third or fourth generation Adventist, you know. Such like if that would make you uh, more better, more worth it than somebody else, pride comes up so easily, so easily. So she says that when Satan is destroyed and he will die for the sins that he has caused God's people to commit, as well as for his own rebellion, so he'll be in that hellfire for a few days, I'm sure. But most people, they will not be tortured for ever and ever and ever. And yet there are many people well-meaning people who believe in eternally burning hellfire. Can you imagine? I've heard one person actually say to me, that's what makes my heavenly bliss greater when I know that somebody else is tortured. What a farrak, what a statement. The love, God's love would not do this. So she says here on page uh, 1133 that, listen to this, she uses the term scheme. Now the scheme is a kind of negative uh, uh, way we use it. But she says this, the scheme of redemption far exceeds the comprehension of human mind. We cannot explain it. How God, how Christ who created everything, because the Bible says nothing was created without him. How he could empty his form in heaven and leave it and take upon himself the form of a humanity and he will always bear the marks of the nails in his hands and his feet and his side. That's the only thing that will remind us about that. But when Satan is finally destroyed, 
there will be no more, uh, no more problem with sin and rebellion because we have learned and the whole universe has witnessed this thing that God is just. He is truly God of love. You know, before the cross, the book of uh, Job actually gives us a little opening to a picture of what happened there. There were the sons of God from different parts of the universe. They came together. And they say then came representing this world because like Jesus said himself, he's the prince of this world. But he's been conquered. His head has been crushed. So Satan will not have dominion over any person who trusts in Christ fully and his precious blood. So she says that we will be studying this subject all throughout eternity. But although we cannot understand it, same as we can understand how these computers work, I don't anyway. <laughs> um, and um, and uh, just like a dog, would you like to, can, could you explain to a dog how, how a computer works or a television and so on? It's beyond our comprehension, so this is quite a statement. The scheme of the idea of redemption far exceeds the comprehension of the human mind. We cannot comprehend it, but we can experience it. We use electricity, we don't quite understand how it works, but uh, but uh, and we use many things. We don't know how it works, but we, it's, it's, it, we, we use it and, and it works. So we need to come daily to the cross and trust in the very precious blood of Christ. Uh, Satan is a defeated foe, let's, let's remember this. And when he comes and condemns us, we will, we will uh, uh, show that we are... God's children, we are here saved of trusting in God. I come from a Lutheran country, Finland and all Scandinavia, uh, Lutheran, there's a state church over there. And Luther was the one who made it very, very important uh, 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 teaching the justification by faith. But you know, Luther, we are told, went through the Ten Commandments every morning. The Lutheran minister told me that. So if we, have, if we truly have loved God, we also love his holy law and spiritual law, and there will be a harmony. But this harmony is broken sometimes because we fail and we fall. But let's not get this discouraged ever, but, but claim the precious blood for us, like Jesus says in the judgment before his Father. My blood, Father, my blood, my blood. And right now, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. The world is such a, is such a bad situation. That's the reason in the book of Revelation, there are these angels that, who were told to hold the winds of strife. Because when they're let loose, Sister White says there'll be devastation that we, can, we have no idea. You know these um, terrorists, you know, they can be right amongst, amongst us. And uh, now they are getting, the, getting uh, Canada has opened the doors to the, to the, for these refugees to come in from Syria. And I bet you some among them, you know, they are coming when they have, they have their plans that when the time is right, they will do terrible things, devastation. Ellen White was shown these balls of, balls of fire falling on certain cities in the United States. She mentions Washington, I think, and Chicago. So men have never developed weapons that they haven't used yet. The Second World War ended with the atomic bomb. 
Hiroshima Nagasaki. But I'm afraid that there will be terrible things, but we are in the God's protection. Amen. We don't need to be afraid. And even our bread and water will be made sure when we finally have to flee to the mountains or whatever. Amen. You know, there are too many of God's people who still live in the cities, like, like Toronto. First, when I got married, I, that's where my wife and I lived. We had um, two or three churches in Toronto in those days. 58 years ago. Now we have uh, 70 or more. Trust in Toronto. And it's not the Caucasian people. It's, it's mainly the people from, from the islands, Jamaica and so on. Um, because people are getting gospel hardened. Yeah. We try to hold evangelistic meetings and um, so few come. It's getting harder and harder. So we need to personally speak to our neighbors, give them literature, and uh, be interested in their interest, and see when there's a door there opening up. You know, when I give these books out, uh, people don't say, uh, usually I will read it. Few people will say, just the other day I gave to a, a lady, and she says, I will read it. So uh, when we sow beside all waters, there will be a harvest, and we will be satisfied when, when, when we'll see the stars in our crown. But she says that some people will have many stars, others have just few. But you can't get to heaven without a star. Somebody has said that. Well, there are people like Thief on the Cross, you know. He died in the last few minutes. He didn't have any chance to practice the healthy form or keep the Sabbath and so on. But he accepted Christ. Remember me when you come into your kingdom and you, you know what the answer was uh, so please be patient here till you get your minister but even then he's not your savior no. we ministers are human we make mistakes oh my I, I made many mistakes in my ministry when I was younger especially so uh, pray for your ministers when you do get one Pastor Pat started his ministry with me you know um, in uh, upper in, in Ottawa Valley there. I had three churches. I had uh, Pembroke, Carlton Place, and Perth. And I had meetings in, in, in Smith's Falls. And, and um, it was too much for me. So I asked to come. He was a corporate then. So I asked the conference, could you please help him to be my helper so that he could, I would not be able to be the, uh, the distance was very great for me there to drive. And um, so the conference says, okay, we'll, 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 we'll take him. And he turned out to be such a good man. But you know, he was on the road a lot. One time he was coming from Medak, Medak uh, uh, home to uh, Curtis where he lived. And he, and he lost consciousness. He, he, he somehow realized, now I'm in the wrong place. I'm in, I'm, I'm in Piripura. He was supposed to turn down to, towards Ashava to Highway 115. But I, I used to pray for him. Please protect him, because there's a danger of falling asleep. I have also, when I had my, uh, my, my territory up north in Ontario, I had South River, North Bay, Haleberry, uh, and uh, Praise Beach, Paris Sound, and uh, some of my meetings, these places, you know, with the late at night, sometimes, you know, I came home midnight and I was ready to give up. You know, we ministers, they spend too much time 
on the road. You know, Pastor Pat did, of course, that's when he talked to people. He, he's a real people person now. I, I got some phone calls from on the road, you know, and we lost the connection because he was going through some cut or something. Uh, and uh, anyway, so pray that the Lord will guide uh, uh, the minister that you will choose. That, that, that you, have you, has the conference act you, asked you actually what kind of minister you want? You know, they do this to the bigger churches, but to the smaller churches, they more or less tell us what we'll get. <laughs> and you know, minister is perfect. So it's good that we have different people because they also all bring a certain aspect that the other one perhaps didn't have it. But let's pray to the Lord of the harvest and he will send laborers into his vineyard. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the precious blood of Christ. We thank thee for the cross that is lifted up over New Jerusalem when it comes down. And although we might not understand even a little bit about the importance of, importance of this great sacrifice, yet we thank thee that we can experience it and nobody needs to be lost as we learn to trust in thee and thy salvation. Bless our homes here. Bless our young people, O oh Lord. We're losing so many of them. Please help them to see the importance of staying close to thee. Bless our schools where they are studying, that they would spend the time with thee in their Bibles and prayer, so that I could bless them and they would develop good, faithful workers for the cause of God. We pray and we thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen.